What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Dowling, Summer Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Not so hello. Now, we haven't foreshadowed what we're going to be covering this week, but you know what it is. It's the film you're most excited to see, it's to hear about. It's the movie event of the year. Of the past five years. Of the, the Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut of Justice League. All in. Not the st- slogan this time. Yeah, um, what is the slogan? Is there one? The Snyder Cut. Release the Snyder Cut. It's been released. We <laughs> saw it. We backflipped on our assertions that we would not cover it yeah, because... We, we know we're film snobs, but we couldn't resist. And this is an interesting story. This is the most greatest discussion point of the past few weeks. Yeah, and everyone's talking about it on film Twitter. It's the conversation. So we have to throw our hats in the ring. We have to converse. Yeah, you may be surprised by our takes on it, actually. And we're going to be getting in a, a lot more detail, not just on the narrative, but the meta-narratives and the aspects around this film and its genesis, which are incredibly interesting. But first, we want, we're also going to be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah in a few minutes, which is in cinemas now. But first, we want to talk about news of the week. The Sydney Czech and Slovak Film Festival opens tonight at Denny Cinema's new town and runs through to Sunday. It's the seventh annual one. Filmonic is also tonight, the Filmonic Melbourne short night, so you can still... Tune out from us and then tune into the Filmonic live stream. Queer Screen's encore events are happening in Sydney from tonight through to Sunday. Uh, the Sydney Silent Film Festival is running an event on Sunday. Next Wednesday night when we go to air, Kino Sydney will be having an event which you can tune into live as will the inaugural well, first monthly sequel-a-thon, excuse me, be happening at the Chipper Hotel. Yep. The Alliance Francais French Film Festival will wrap in the next few days. Ongoing is the Jewish International Film Festival, Moonlight Cinema, and Sunset Cinema North Sydney. Before we get into just the Black Messiah, though, we just want to touch on a aspect of a festival we talked about last week, which is the inaugural Australian Women's Film Festival, so we didn't get to do, discuss. Um, uh, just to recap, it is the first event in Sydney. It is There are several requirements to enter the festival. You have to, The film, three of the f- five key creatives have to be women, and the film has to pass the Bechdel test. If the Bechdel test is relevant to the film, given the nature of the narrative or dialogue, there are other requirements which will make it eligible. Um, this means that while men are not excluded from entering, uh, the rule is that they simply have to be able and willing to work with women. It was a great festival. It was a great night. All female filmmakers, presenters, recipients, until a man got up. This was not expected. Um, about halfway through this, just after a panel, a man got up, went up to the presenter, who'd also done an amazing welcome to country earlier in the night, and said, I'd like to say something. There was a shocked reaction from the audience. The presenter, so the host, excuse me, who handled this whole situation very well, paused for a moment, definitely in shock, just like the rest of us, and just said, no. He says, I'll just be a sec. Takes the mic from her, very clear, takes the mic from her, walks to the front and says, I'm going to do my breast 60-year-old Caucasian man expression. I just want to say that I think it's fantastic that the two biggest, highest-grossing films in cinemas right now, which isn't true, Promising Young Woman and Nomadland were directed by women, Emerald Fennell and Chloe Zhao. I think it's just great that we can have events like this and that we can celebrate this and celebrate all these amazing female filmmakers and that female filmmaking or directed films are doing so well. Is it a fantastic? Bravo. Before he... um. Uh, hands the mic back. Uh, there was a mixture of bewilderment and shock. Uh, there was a slight smattering of applause. I'm sorry, we can't help but laugh. It is a, a uniquely funny situation, as 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 awful as it is. You know what? Good on him. 
Good on him. He had his voice and he got his he, voice You know, heard. men men had to make an appearance here. We had to make a statement and he was our representative. <laughs> can, 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 can you imagine the, the mental state to say, this event needs more men. This event needs my voice right and, now. And also to espouse, you know, I'm such a, you know, I'm, I'm so for women and praise promising such young women. Ally. But yeah, exactly. But then just ignore the question of consent. Absolutely. Wait, can I have this microphone? No. Oh, okay. I'll just take it from you. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, good on him. He, he really had something to say. He had things on his chest Glenn he wanted, wanted to get out. Glenn wanted to tell this story last week and I didn't realize I hadn't heard the story yet. As he was going through his uh, wrap up of the film festival, I was sort of symboling to like hurry it along because I thought we've got so much to cover this episode. But man, if I had known the gold that was awaiting, I would not have deprived your ears, listeners. Um, but yeah. Amazing, amazing things happen. I, as, as you said last week when you told me the story, it just shows why we need to have the festival. It was of all the things that happened, one of, of the many great things that happened tonight, it was an exceptional event. It was just indicative of why the events like this are so necessary. I've got to give it to the host who um, just paused for a second as he gave the mic back and said, thank you, and which was one of the biggest rounds of applause of the whole night. Mm-hmm. Um, which, so yeah. Just I, the manner of saying... Thank you. Like he, he must. He must have thought that. Oh my God! It's all applauded for me because yeah. you know finally these people have heard what I had to say. Well, though he had a small smattering of applause. It was kind of this reactive. Someone said something, and you just kind of applaud as you always do. Yeah. And but there was, it was just there was that like half people were just flag of bastards. The other half were just like silently laughing. I, I can't believe this is happening. It's like the the contract of being in a theater audience has been broken. But it's like, do we try to? maintain some normalcy by clapping at the clap points. <laughs> you have to be this guy going home being like, I did something great tonight. Yeah. I stood up for women. Yeah. The real question is, what are the actual highest grossing films? Dry. Well, it's not the real question, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I think Nomadland's still doing pretty well. I think As Is Promising Young Woman, it's very popular. Yeah, and it, it could be your next Best Picture winner, as Virat alerted us to last week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to be Nomadland, but knowing the Oscars, it it's, it's, it's not going to be. Yeah, it's going to be promising young woman. I think it's going to be tight, and I can I have a because, bad feeling uh, about promising young woman. Emerald Fennell has been tapped to direct the new DC. DC. Yeah, the yeah. new yeah. Cool. film. Which I was doing the next Marvel. Yeah, that's uh, them. So uh, yeah, so going to give it to directors Tanya McManus and Kelly Thomas Sitch on a well-run festival, and yeah, uh, we'll be there next year to cover the event. So uh, the next film we're talking about before we get into Justice League, and you're listening to. Sorry, the Snyder Cut. Let me be very clear. The Snyder Cut. Zack Snyder's Justice League. You can re- we've already covered Justice League. You can go back and listen to our review from a few years back. Justice League, as it will henceforth <laughs> be known. <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> I wish I claimed that. That's it's going around good. on film Twitter. Um, I, I, just, I, I listened to it. I just want to reference one amazing quote from Virat, which was, um, it was a just, a, just, you know what? We'll play it later. It, it, has, to, it has to be played. Anyway, we're going to talk about uh, the Judas and the Messiah first. It is the, I'll just bring up my notes. Yep, the new film starring Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Kalu as Fred Hantum and Jesse Plenums. It is about an informant played by Stanfield who rises high in um, a militant movement in the 60s the in Black America. The Panthers, to be clear. Yes. Oh, but it's, it's an offshoot thereof. Like It's a branch thereof. It's not, there's, he was one major leader thereof. So, and yep. And the conflict both that the Stanfield and Plenum's character have, but also the issues, uh, also just the documentation of um, the rise of the Black Panther movement and the actions and resistance 
to them and just inspire them to other forces. Um, I enjoyed this film as a historical narrative. Mm. Oh, uh, just for some uh, clarification, Fred Hampton was leader of the Illinois chapter of Black Panthers, but also the deputy chairman of the overall National Black Panther Party. So quite yes. highly ranked. And it does, but it does so fraction within uh, both uh, within the Black Panthers, but also protest movements, especially African American protest movements within the United States. Now. I like the film as a historical narrative. There were as I'm familiar with the Black Panther movement, but this is not an aspect thereof that I was overly familiar with. So I enjoyed this tangent of the story. I think, however, there's a fundamental issue with this film that any film, and it's such a simple thing, but it has to be said, is about conflict. The, the most charismatic, enigmatic character is played by Daniel Kaluuya. He's very, very good, and as great as he is to watch, he's very direct and clear in his focus and what he wants. So the conflict comes from the Plenums and Stanfield characters. Um, are we doing the right thing? Especially Lakeith Stanfield playing an African American character, and he's at his crisis of faith. Jesse Plenums. Um, it's strange that it's a testament to Plenum's ability as an actor and the role that's less written than the Lakeith Stanfield character. He manages to impart a great deal of moral ambiguity and internal tension without any direct lines to that effect. And those are the aspects of the film I like the most. I agree. Um, there's a few scenes in particular that where we get to see the tension inside Plenum's where I think it's really elevated by the performance as opposed to necessarily the writing. You know, he's investing a lot into this. He's showing that he has that potential to be a really, truly great character actor. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head about the film in that the history is really interesting. And I was moved by the history, but I wasn't really moved by the filmmaking because I think it never really gets below the surface of any of the subplots that deeply. You know, I wanted to feel more of the internal conflict within Lakeith Stanfield's character, or I wanted to feel more of the tension in having a, choosing to have a baby going on between Fred Hampton and, and his partner. You know, I, all of these stories are interesting. All, the paranoia of um, informants and uh, the law enforcement closing in. All, you know, there's so many interesting through lines in this film, but it, it gives you glimpses of a bunch of things rather than identifying what the core narrative is and probing it. I was wondering throughout when I was watching it whether or not this would be better suited as a documentary rather or than a TV actually show. dramatic dramatic fiction. Yeah, a TV series could have actually expanded a lot of these plot lines into actual dramatic threads that could be explored a lot better. Yeah. But throughout the film, it just felt very compressed. And even though I kind of got a Wikipedia article sensibility of what the history is about... I could have read a Wikipedia article. <laughs> I didn't want to watch a movie about it. Well, I think it's elevated by the acting, and I think it's reasonably well directed. You know, like there yeah. are, it's it's well staged at points. Um, you do get a sense of the skill of the opening scene is great. Yeah, that's right, and you do get a a, a strong sense of um, Hampton's skills as a politician and and the kind of reverence that that people see in him in the way that he's shot. Um, and yeah. So, uh, I referred earlier to the militant elements or the advocacy for militancy within the Black Panther movement, but historically, and this isn't covered in a great deal of narrative fiction, there is internal debate as to what extent it should be a social advocacy, whether it should have other methods, or whether to what extent the movement should embrace militism. Certainly, the film touches on this at the very beginning in a great hall scene and else where there is conflict with not just this movement but the African-American community more generally and I wish it had gone into more detail throughout. Yes, I did 
just advocate for um, the focus on the more conflicted characters who the two have mentioned. But I would have liked, and again, we're going to talk about a film that's four hours long in a few minutes. I'm happy to watch a long film with me and go into subjects in more detail. Yeah. And I wish you to discuss that aspect of the, that tension within the Black Panther movement more generally. I think this is a, a recurring tangent we've been discussing in a lot of films that they just don't know. Mank had a very similar problem. It, it compressed a lot of history and wasn't sure it, exactly what kind of story it wanted to tell. Yeah. I think this film has a similar uh, problem where everything it covers is very interesting, but nothing it covers generally is interesting enough for it to be probed deeper. So I could have seen the one film... film isn't interested enough in these Sorry, things, yeah, it seems. you're yeah. right, yeah. yeah. So uh, it kind of feels like, oh, you know, oh, cool, maybe we're going in this direction, and then that's abandoned completely, and then we are suddenly in the next conflict. So the conflict is there, but it's just not... It's superficial enough for you to kind of feel something that it might develop into something deeper, but there's no core conflict for you to kind of feel like, oh, this is the one thing that the film actually hangs in the balance. Yeah. And there's just, just to note, there's a great scene involving um, shooting where it's very difficult to um, both depict absolute chaos, but be abs absolute awareness of geography and stakes. And the, the scene does that. Um, I So we talked about the performances elevated and something like they did ultimately, but that and the opening scene in the bar and the final scene in the movie, which you won't ruin, but as said, this is interesting reading, worth reading up on, industry worth reading up on, I think were the best therein. As as were the great speeches by Kalua. Yeah. yeah the, the Oscar very, very rousing. The Oscar noms are... I think justified. So yeah, I think this film definitely deserved it. It's acting. It, it's one of the it, one sure. of the less Oscar Beatty Oscar films. Yeah. <laughs> if we can call yeah, it it's, that, it's well yeah, handled it's enough that it, you think of it as more than just throw throw away Oscar bait. But yeah. ultimately, it's not Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's ex. It's not. It doesn't belong in the same sentence. But ultimately, I think it's going to fade from your memory in the same sort of way as. Uh, most of these Oscar bait films. It's just the, the great you, legacy of this film could be inspiring people to look up the history, which is fascinating. Which is yeah. a shame. It's most interested in educating, in, in all stretches, including the end scene, which it depraves. It is interesting in educating and informing rather than um, having such an emphasis on drama. It's like, we, this history happened. It hasn't really been covered in um, major narrative film properly, at least um, uh, major releases, and it should be covered. I agree. I mean, if anything else, this film might, you know, probe a lot of other filmmakers to delve into the history of Black Panther movement, and we might see more films which are, better in terms of coherent mm. focus in the future that might be you know interesting enough so yeah if this is a first of many then yeah why not so that is Judas and the Black Messiah. It is in cinemas now. You're listening to Film Fight Club 2CL with Glenn Falcons and Chris Evans of Rotney Nehru. And we are talking, we only have one thing left to discuss. It's the fightingest movie maybe ever released because they're all fighting. They're all great fighters. It is the Snyder Cut of Justice League, the 2017 film, uh, as we will not be doing a spoiler discussion for this film. However, I think in fairness, it will be a spoiler discussion for Justice League, the 2017 film. There's an overlap, but there are differences. Before we get the basic premise of this film, if you don't already know, if you're listening to the show, you know. Is that we were deprived of a Snyder Cut and the fans demanded we release the Snyder Cut. Well, Triumphantly, it was released. Well, no, no the, 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 the premise of this film is that there's a bunch of DC heroes, Batman, Wonder Woman, you know the shtick there. No, the story of this film is that Fans we at organized. Film Fight Club have been asking for the Snyder Cut yeah. for as long as possible. We, had to realize we have not. The demand was release the cut that exists. The cut didn't exist. Snyder and his wife made the cut exist. Yeah, but the, the same is sort of true of the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2, right? Um, they, it still has kind of had to be a reconstruction. I, so I th oh, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it as well. Yeah. But, I, but I think the argument that, hey, you guys shut up, the Snyder Cut's impossible, um, 
was a bit reactionary and hasty in retrospect. No, um, importantly, yeah, he has taken away all the Josh Whedon aspects of this film. We were left to speculate a few years ago, so what were the Josh Whedon and Zack Snyder bits? We thought the funny bits were Josh Whedon. We were wrong. We're happy to, happy to call it out. Um, there's one particular scene I refer to listening back to our review, a very funny sequence where the Flash looks over at Superman, Superman looks back at him, mm. and we thought, oh, it's going to only be, be Josh Whedon. Whedon. No, we were wrong. It's, it's Snyder. He did well. Uh, but the thing is, actually, the even though the lines are somewhat similar in terms of the humor, the feelings different. The, the feelings are very different. Like you know, the the gagginess, mm. the gagginess. The yeah, <laughs> the gagginess that There's makes more you gag. Consistent no. approach to the humor, even if the inferences what happens are jarring, given the rest of the tone being so dour. Absolutely. Look, I I think we need to reverse back like the flash and talk about what it's actually about. Um, since I kept cutting off Glenn's attempt to otherwise, it's about an alien monster that wants some cubes. Yeah. However, t- 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 Tesseract. Thanos wants the Tesseract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry, it's not fair. I apologize, DC fans. I was taking the mickey. It's the same, you know, uh, MacGuffin plot as most of these big superhero movies. But the reason why this one is better is because it's really about everything that happens along the way that, you know, the Tesseract doesn't matter so much. It's a thing that bridges together little subplots and storylines about each of these heroes that the film devotes a fair bit of time to, especially the new additions to the roster. Yeah, we're going to get into quite a bit of detail now. Before we do, just to dial things back again to the meta now aspects, so we're discussing uh, the sort of air to um, the reason that Zack Snyder and his wife were pulled off the, Filming was a very tragic circumstances. Yeah, he, he actually voluntarily steps down after the suicide of his daughter, Autumn. And it is, I'm glad that the director obviously, for, while we can talk about um, Zack Snyder's craft, he's someone who very deeply cares about uh, these narratives, more so than I think a lot of the Marvel directors, honestly. And I like the fact that he came back and was able to finish the cut of the film he cared so much about and, and invested a lot of his life in. Absolutely. This film has real heart and soul put into it. You can really tell. Um, and a lot of sincerity and, and genuine love for superheroes and what they mean to people. But um, there's uh, speaking of his being stepped down, the thing is that the footage was there. The studio did not need to mangle the film in the way that they did. You know, they evident now, yeah. They easily could have just seen Snyder's vision through to release, but instead. For yeah. some reason, there were some truly terrible rewrites and reshoots that turned the film into a strange mass of clashing tones. And something that's clear now, and probably the best advent of this, there isn't the um, I'm gonna, the approach that Josh Whedon, as a director, Joss. clearly... Josh Whedon, excuse me. Josh Whedon... Clearly, yes, yes. Let's stop saying his name. Clearly took... The one to, who must not be named. <laughs> Clearly took to the female character, specifically the main female character in this film. I'm referring to the awful joking Z, which was also the Avengers, where Flash uh, fell on Wonder Woman and touched oh, her yeah. chest. Awful. Also, there's a lot of very leering shots of Wonder Woman in the original Justice League film. Which are not here. Which are not here, nor in the Patty Jenkins movies. And I appreciate that. They weren't needed to be there. And clearly it was an addition from Whedon that Snyder has not just removed here, but clearly did not have in the first place. So yeah. good. Yeah. Um, man, where to start with this film? Yeah. It's such oh a behemoth. But As a macro thing, I would yeah. say a lot of the stylistic issues I had with Justice League are still there. However, it's just wonderful to watch a film that takes four hours to tell a story that is paced and doesn't feel like to cram anything in. Yeah. 
and where the narratives that didn't make sense in the first one make a lot more sense now. There's still stuff you've got to cut, but it makes a lot more, it's a lot more tangible and yeah. cohesive. I think the biggest difference is the backstories of The Flash and Cyborg. Cyborg. Yeah. Uh, and Cyborg's I can, the main I can, character now, God. Yeah. I, can, I can see why Ray Fisher was uh, Upset. annoyed uh, at the justice, injustice that was done to him. It kind of echoes the Finn, Boy, Finn, Finn Boyega, the John Boyega <laughs> Finn story of what the hell happened to... to his characterization. They did him dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Sad, but he, he has a lot more to do here. It is a little odd to me that his father is played by the same guy from Cyberdyne and Judgment Day, filling the exact same role in this movie. I mean, you could have cast literally anyone else. Yeah. It goes a little beyond a fan reference, but ah, it was fine. I liked I liked him in this. There were having said that though, the one two things I really wanted was more Jeremy Irons and especially more J.K. Simmons. Jeremy was, Irons was great. He's always great. Jeremy Irons is fantastic. It was so underused. Yeah. I, I just want to know how much money Kevin Costner got paid for a photograph of him being used in the film and how much Michael Shannon got for like a plastic mold of him being used in here. Right. I, I think the funniest line was Jeremy Irons when he uh, finally realizes that, you know, do we have enough cups? <laughs> and he's asked to make the tea, and I was like, I gotta make the tea. Yeah. Like, do we have enough it's, cups? It's also a genuinely different Alfred. Alfred's always the sorry dotty, oh, Master Wayne, not this again. Yeah, this Whereas here he's like, I'm gonna hack sarcastic. this. And he's, he's, he's clearly a much more actively involved with Bruce Wayne's activities, like in the comics, this, and unlike the films, this, including the Christopher Nolan films. This take on him I liked a lot more than um, in Batman vs. Superman. It's the same character, but it's just, be- like a lot of things compared to Batman vs. Superman, it's just much better handled here. That was a film that had didn't have a good vision behind it. This is a film that does have a good vision behind it. Um, the th- you were saying before that uh, you, you still take issue with Snyder's style. What surprised me watching this was how much I wholesale loved it. I had a suspicion that I might have because when it was uh, a high five, you heard we led to two, two, two of us. Not guess which ones literally just high fived in the <laughs> studio. Yeah, um, I, I had a suspicion I might because I was struck in uh, watching the theatrical cut of Justice League by a few of the action scenes, namely the the one under Gotham and the Amazonian uh, cube throwing sequence. Um, where I thought this is some Cubaton. of the, right. I thought those had some genuinely beautiful images and were the best action I'd seen from Zack Snyder. This film is more and more of that. This film is is full of beautiful, beautiful uh, digital compositions. Um, I grew to not care about overuse of slow mo or whatever else. It's, it's and, ev- just, and everyone gets their own uh, sad song from Nick Cave to yeah, the, Leonard Cohen. Like everyone has their intro sad song. Oh, but yeah. the same annoying music played for Wonder Woman every time was fine the first time, and then it just keeps recurring. Look, my issue with the act—well, it's not so much the action; the action is well staged. The problem with the Zack Snyder approach—we saw it in Sucker Punch, Three Hundred, Batman vs Superman, and his other films, and Man vs Steel to an extent. Man vs Steel was actually a bit of a retrieve. Watchmen. Watchmen Lesser, actually, is that there's no reason not to film in naturalistic environments. I appreciate there are some things you have to film otherwise, but when you otherwise have cities to show and it's some, the point of, okay, with, with a comic, he's trying to bring the comic form into film. Film is a substantially different medium. The fun thing about film is watching people who are real and things, real things around them interact. I enjoy that. Um, Nolan got this right to an extent. Um, the Marvel films do this 
occasionally quite well. But here, there's such a divorce between the individuals, certainly real things, and sometimes a CGI landscape. Obviously, the cornfield is infamous by this point, yeah. and it becomes a headachey and frustrating, especially with four hours of watching this. If they're going to exercise anything, they could have exercised the cornfield scene of all things. The cornfield reminded me of a quote from James Cameron where he was saying, talking about the sunset in Titanic and saying, oh, if we shot that now, we wouldn't have to wait for the moment. We'd just get it instantly digitally. And I was thinking it was sort of missing the point of something magical about filmmaking. They definitely should have filmed that that scene in a cornfield at sunset. Same goes for um, some of the um, Superman scenes with the, the digital cityscape. Some of those things definitely would have been better in regular live action. However... The rest of the time, I think um, it stops mattering that it looks fake because Snyder is constantly using the CG to do amazing stuff and summon up amazing visuals. Um, In an age where we are bombarded by these cheap CG I mean, the the, the parademon, the final sort of battle where Batman is in, you know, shooting stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that, that one felt really... Interactive, actually. really beautifully staged. Yeah. It shows that Snyder has a, a fantastic sense for motion, motion between points. So you know, displaying that clearly to make fights exciting. Spatial geography was yeah. actually on point. Which so yeah, seeing some of the incredible compositions that just keep coming in this film, I thought that Snyder here is showing that he's one of the few directors who actually deserves to be given the budget for the CGI toolbox, you know, the playset. Yeah, that all these directors get handed when they take on these superhero films and usually come up with no no vision. You know, you can show anything with CGI and Snyder takes advantage of that. Some of the, the sequences involving the flash um, and the breaking through time barriers or the digital world of the cyborg um, reminded me of Speed Racer in the, the imagination where it's just we're using CGI, so that means you can do anything. The camera can go anywhere and anything can happen, and it's beautiful. The flash sequences were my favourite. Um, he has to successfully, unlike in the last film, go faster and faster paces, and there's a different visual language telling each of these moments, and we actually see it escalate throughout the film. The first scene where we really see the Flash's powers when he saves a woman from a car accident, and it's a very good scene, except in the bit where he uh, tossed a curl away, which <laughs> yeah, was yeah, yeah. weird, and um, I... In, I revised my earlier comment with that one exception at one moment, but it was otherwise very well staged. And I liked the language where suddenly we're seeing Flash having to engage different methods at different increasingly speeds with others. Cyborg, we are told he's this person who can hack any system, but to actually see hacking done in a visually imaginative way is not something that's ever done in film. Yeah. Snyder's done that. Um, the show Superman... Land to see the underwater fight scenes. I actually really liked uh, with Amber Heard in Atlantis. Yeah. Um, the the little f- limited focus we get on this apocalyptic universe with the unnecessary addition of the Joker, which does not include the lions in the trailers. That was a troll. That we live in a society. society were quite <laughs> decently handled because it wasn't, and and that wasn't that, that actually that scene actually felt a little more real, even though it was. And that, again, I was accepting that because obviously you can't create a whole dust cloud of a city Mm -hmm. um, you have to film it non-practically so there were great bits in this um turning to the meta aspects of narrative for the story for the moment there were things that frustrated me that every villain in this film dark sea i mean 
uh, what's his name? Uh, Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf had a little bit more of a motivation, but not really. Dark his Seed, motivation was enough for me. Yeah, for, the, for this I, one, actually, it was more fleshed out because the original film, he, he just felt like the he big He was just, bad. I am the bad guy. But the overall motivations for the bad guys in this, I'm referring to Dark Seed, and then the other bad guy we meet, who's played by, um, I'm sorry, I forget his name, Bruce Bolton from Game of Thrones. He's a Northern Irish actor. He's great, but it's literally, I just want to kill things. I just Sierra want Hines. things to die. No, not Sierra Hines. He plays Steppenwolf. Oh, uh, Ray Potter. Desaad. Yeah. Ray Potter plays Darkseid. No, I'm referring to the guy at the beginning in the museum. I'll bring up his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. And the motivation is always, I just want to destroy things. It's never good enough. It's not good enough here. Oh, so, it's, a, it's, it's a throwaway thing, though. He's a, he's, a, he's a monster of the week in this TV season that we've just watched. And I'd say more than that. I agree. It was dumb, but it's such a brief moment. Well, yeah. well, well this doesn't annoy me in a four-hour film where you have to flesh things out. When you can just bring back anyone, the universe doesn't feel like it has proper stakes. That, and that was annoys a, me. Yeah, that was a problem with Justice League in the first place. It, it's a problem here now, but it's less of a problem because it spends time to ground the risk of activating that you know the cube. Uh, Michael yeah. Michael the actor's name. Right. Yeah. The, um, for me, the, the it was less of a problem the um, stakes being removed by the the magic revival stone than it was in the theatrical cut of Justice League because Zack Snyder grounds the moment in and he Cyborg. foreshadows of what might happen that the yeah. stakes and as a result of touching it so you you know it, it it's really established I think well enough in this script that this is a thing you can sort of do one time if it, if the ends really justify it like the gambit that Doctor Strange uses in the end of Avengers Infinity War. I just have to correct myself. He's not from Northern Ireland. He's from Terranure, excuse me. Um, right. So the that it doesn't bother me because we have so much more to absorb here and that in a shorter film, it's more stark. But also the reasons why bringing the person back in the way they did it, the flow and effects are much clearer mm. in this film. So, but, but, you know, so are the risks. Yeah. So we're going to be continuing talking about Justice League, the Snyder Cut on the podcast. We're going to be talking next week about a film... Another versus film, King Kong. Sorry, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, Chris is on the Godzilla side. I'm on the Kong side. Yeah. So we'll Rawr. see how this uh, plays out. Uh, you can still see the Allianz Francais French Film Festival, see the Czech and Slovak Film Festival, Philharmonic Queer Screen, Sun Film Festival, the uh, Jewish International Film Festival, Moonlight and Sunset North. Uh, check out the details about the Australian Women's Film Festival, a Kino and Sequelathon happening next week. Judas and the Black Messiah is in cinemas now. The Snyder Cut is now streaming on Binge. We'll be back next week again with, uh, yes, Kong v. Godzilla, more fighting, more smashing, more big films. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. This has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans and Varat Nehru. Stay safe, have a wonderful night, and enjoy movies. Good night. Bye-bye. And we're talking all things Justice League, the Snyder Cut. Uh, one thing that just really annoyed me about this, and it was worse because there were more instances of this, why does everyone know who Batman is? Like, his secret identity is not a secret identity in this yeah. universe. Everyone just kind of knows. Bruce Wayne. I mean, yeah, it's mostly <laughs> just among the Justice League. To no, him. no, he's walking around this Icelandic village and it's, yeah. oh, he's just chatting about, it's like, Bat, yeah. It's like, oh, like, I wonder if one of those guys has the internet. <laughs> like, right. come on. Good point. Yeah. It's a little annoying. Um. I was. I came away from this film thinking I'm shocked that it's taken until now for this film to be made. By which I mean, a serious drama about superheroes, like taking them seriously without the kind of postmodern ironic take that Marvel does, yeah. nor the super broody edgelord take that tends to be the alternative. How come it's been until now till we've had a film that is honoring the kind of strange multiverse and crossover realities of contemporary comic books? playing it straight, sincere, 
trying to get you emotionally invested and taking it seriously and be rousing. Why has it taken until now? Well, it's it's also because you had to pick the right storyline, right? This is a new God storyline. And mm. the DCU that Snyder set up literally treats its heroes like gods. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Marvel does the opposite, where he wants its heroes to be... Relatable. Relatable and like normal people. They just don't want to be gods. Yeah, Whereas but in the Marvel films, it's more um, confusing when it... Uh, Depicts when they're d- smug and godlike anyway. Well, yeah, because in the Marvel films, you barely feel like civilians matter at all. Yeah. And it's, it's less weird in this universe with the, the representation of them as gods. Yeah. Was, but what struck me, we got more grounding in the original Justice League for what was happening in northern Russia. Yeah, we, there's, the no, there's no reference to, there were no peasants, there were no references to, peasants is the wrong word, there, there were no civilians, <laughs> there were no... I just saw them referred to as the, the Russian peasants a lot, uh, you know, on the internet, yeah. so it, 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 apologies. God. And <laughs> they're... And this, we didn't know what happened to this town. They, they did say that it was like a, a dead nuclear waste kind of zone. It was like the Dragon Ball Z excuse of we're just fighting in the desert. Not in the first one, but, but yes, in, the, in, this in this one, one, one and that, yeah. that was the, yeah, the this excuse. explosion. Th- what explosion happened thirty years ago? Yeah, in Northern Russia. Okay, in this universe, fine. I'm willing to buy it. Yeah, I, I, I did like the, but though, what was so much better was the reference to here's this tunnel network that was actually built in the 1920s. Here's a bit of your history. Yeah. I know that Gotham is a fake place, but that felt a little more lived in. Yes. Like in um, The Rock, when they talk about how Alcatraz was initially a fort for the Civil War, and here's the reasons all these tunnels exist. Mm. So there were good things about this. Yeah, look, the, the way that they um, present the superheroes' backstories and all of these stories about um, people trying to please their fathers, I found really sincere and actually quite moving. Like the it's, it's something about the approach of this film. I don't know whether it's been given four hours. It's like hold the the slow-mo shots for a really long time, spend a lot of time um, lingering on close-ups of people's faces when they're reacting to grief or melancholy sadness, nostalgia. Um, There's a cumulative feeling of weightiness where you start to genuinely get emotionally invested in this universe. It's funny you talk about that because a critic friend of ours, uh, Travis Johnson, Mm. he had this take that uh, basically if you read this film like, a bunch of orphans trying to find not only their place in the world, but also trying to forgive themselves for being orphans to begin with. There's thematic unity in yeah, this film. So, and uh, if you look at the backstories of pretty much everyone in here, there is that kind of underlying theme of they've lost a loved one, they haven't quite got over that. Mm. Uh, and to now look at Zack Snyder's backstory as well, there is a thematic unity in everything, and I can see why yeah. he would make this kind of film. But then there are bits that jar when they try to bring this into explicitly. I'm referring to the Martha Kent, Lois Lane sequence where we just have these characters who aren't otherwise really in the film to shut in here to really tease this out. I guess, again, it was emotional discussion, which was undermined by the twist at the end of that yeah, scene, the, which was I, very dumb. I didn't like the twist in that scene. Yeah, no. no. They brought, that was uh, one of the uh, few moments where I feel like this movie actually really put, puts a foot wrong. There's a, there's a few instances where you could have just chop things out. I think the worst scenes in Justice League, um, uh, Wonder Woman putting the lasso to around Aquaman and um, them trying to norm a bit, it, they weren't they weren't here and it was better for that. The scene where Wonder Woman um, and Bruce spar over Steve Trevor, that wasn't there. There was just a reference to, I knew a man who could have flown this thing. It was elegant. It was nice. We knew exactly what she was talking about, especially post the recent Wonder Woman film. Man, the sincerity and, 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 and of this one really wins also, me over. Yeah, and also the... Wonder Woman, yeah. Again, she's, she's always great. 
the beautiful mm. interactions between Aquaman and Wonder Woman, yeah. where they're talking about the shared history between Amazons and, and Atlanteans, and basically, oh, we have a saying like that here too, which yeah. also felt more sincere. And I was like, ah, you know, we've been fighting for so many years, but now we have a shared history. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so. even um, things like uh, the interaction between Batman and Cyborg near the end, it's like kind of quietly touching. How great was the football scene at the beginning, by the way? Yes. So Actually, well shot. It was well shot, excepting the background. The foregrounds are great. The backgrounds, yeah, again, were distracting. I know, I've been to football games. I know <laughs> what a football stadium looks like. That's not what one has ever looks like. I get that's what a touch, or it's, was it a touchdown, but I get that's what a great play looks like. Mm. Well, um, actually, it was, it was a, no, actually, it was but, a touchdown. It's not uh, a non-traditional one. I think based on the color palette and the, the lighting that Snyder chooses, this is probably the best way to camouflage the background CGI. I think that's part because of if it. it's a brighter film. Want this garish would, yeah, plastic would, look. Yeah, it would uh, stand out a lot more and it would be more distracting. But in this universe, with that kind of consisting lighting tone, mm. it kind of feels like nothing in the background really matters because the, everybody, everybody in the background is just... Kind of, you know, background dressing yeah. for, the, for this battle of gods. Uh, sort of, uh, yeah, dressing, you know, background dressing, window, yeah. dre- window dressing. Sorry. On when you were talking before about how good Wonder Woman is, on a characterization um, level, absolutely, she's great. But also, how great was the way that the Wonder Woman action was filmed? Yes. This just completely demolished everything that that has been done in in the Patty Jenkins films in terms of representing how Wonder Woman moves and fights. Yes. Yeah different and, uh, and 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 this is and this is the problem with and if this is supposed to exist as part of a cinematic universe the inconsistency is a problem the level of the craft is not mm. the inconsistency is is bad you wish and would hope for um, more f- confluency over this yeah but also i mean this felt more true to the comics in terms of her actually using her armor yeah. and her lasso yeah. we've not seen her use her lasso as a fighting weapon, only She's to tell just the been truth. swinging or the truth. Yeah, you know, yeah. And so I'm just like, oh, she does yeah, a bit this, in yeah. the other films, but not not as much as in here. Yeah, no, in, like. in this one, this is actually utilized to basically in, in a fighting way, which was like, ah, oh, cool. You know, this is interesting. Mm. But mm. Cyborg, oh my god, he gets a full arc, and that was not there in the original. He does, film. and also the the Flash also um, he maybe gets about half as much of an arc as Cyborg does. I, I think they know that. Um, they need to spend the time to introduce you to Cyborg because he is such a dour character and his backstory is so heavy. The Flash is the is the comic relief, so you don't need so much time to establish an, an audience connection with him. We naturally warm to to a comic relief guy in a in a dour. But even universe. with the Flash, or at least Ezra Miller's version of the Flash, There's the original still Justice League really did him short because it he did. came across as a socially awkward. Just incel type figure, <laughs> to Sheldon be honest. Yeah, but but in league. this film, uh, the social awkwardness is grounded, and you kind of understand that. Yeah, he's it's a matter of scripting trying, our, trying, our trying to make connections. Yeah, uh, and uh, in this one, his performance really did. Mm. Not only was improved, I also kind of liked his character. Me like, too. Yeah, rather and than just making him feel like a douchebag. Oh my god, Zack Snyder is the only person who should be directing the Flash film. His his imagination. His version of what it looks like when the flesh runs and some of the images he comes up with yeah. are so beautiful. And it, it really allows him to indulge his slow-mo fetish yeah. in a way that's justified <laughs> completely by the narrative. Um, but, but, but man, it, it, the climax, it reminded me actually of um, Speed Racer, which is another one of my favorite like digital tableau, you know, blurring lines of reality but using CGI movies in the level of imagination and, and the, the, how stirring it is. 
I liked this movie a lot. I, I liked a lot of things about it. But what scene we haven't referenced with Wonder Woman is the um, the, the we, we talked earlier about the scene with uh, Michael McHattery where um, she stops a muse- attack on a museum, but the gorgeous sequence where she's just deflecting bullets. Um, having said this, there are a few moments, including the end of the sequence, where there is an explosion or massive, ridiculous bit of destruction. Uh, for absolutely no reason, and I liked it when it was more seamless in the narrative. Certainly, the final scene to that effect um, was very, very good. I I liked the final sequence. I liked a lot about this film, I and liked it's just the... nice. I there's no there's no comic book film this long. It's nice to have one where we just sit and learn about each character, Take learn about each world, and there is genuine world building. But also, like four hours, it didn't feel like anything was stretched. No, in fact, I did it, feel like it's needed it that nice time. amount of breathing room. Um, the right amount. And the thing about this film is Batman versus Superman felt like it was really crammed with way too much, introducing Wonder Woman and, and introducing Batman. And introducing go back and watch the ultimate cut? <laughs> it's, not, it's slightly better than the theatrical, but it's still not good. It's not on the level of this. Um, the thing about this movie was then, again, it's, oh, you're introducing all these other new characters. How are you going to get this done? And the theatrical cut did not convince. It felt like a... a corporate mandated rush to get to justice league as much as possible. This film in taking its time and in spending so much uh, time on backstory and giving each character a satisfactory arc justifies making a justice league movie. Now, you know, that, that was the huge task they had to accomplish and they pulled it off. Actually now, now, now that Aquaman has got a couple of films, or at least one, Just one. And, I haven't and, seen and it. Wonder Woman has got, I can see it too. Uh, two. Uh, Justice League, yeah, the Justice League movie now kind of feels, now that you know each and all yeah. these characters kind of a bit better, and the only ones that needed to be introduced were Flash and Cyborg, which do get their origin story. They get story. the big focus in this yeah. film. Now, yeah. There are a lot of other characters introduced. There's a 24-minute epilogue. I didn't mind, but if you're going to take the approach where instead of doing a Marvel, have its individual films and one big film, if you're going to have one big film, you have to take a long time to tell it, and they did to their credit. Yeah, the thing about the epilogue is it's setting up uh, sequels that we're never going to see. Um, and I, I, honestly, but at the same now time, I feel like it's a shame. It is I'd a love shame. to spend more time with these characters. I loved their dynamic. I loved the way that they, they kind of um, treat each other with respect. They they joke around sometimes, but they're not too quippy. That you know The, the way that they interact with each other yeah. um, felt honest. Uh, I mean, the epilogue was probably one of the ways to address the fact that there are no stakes, right? I mean, even if you do go back and, and undo this one thing, the epilogue is trying to say, hang on, you yeah. thought that there were no consequences, but there it's are. still... Uh, yeah. And even without that expansion of whether or not those consequences will ever come to be expanded upon, I think there's enough there to realise that uh, it's okay. So, no, because the thing is, with the epilogue, what it sets up, this idea is because I look at these films as not separate films, but as one continuing story, much like the stories were told in comic books, right? Yeah. Where you have one story continuing over multiple editions of comic books. This is one, one story being continued over multiple films. And one arc leads to the next. Pretty much. And the characters you feel are sure done by in this film, like Lois Lane, are going to be important yeah. in future films, which may not be made now. So yeah. we don't know. But that's what the idea is. And I kind of like it because it's Closely following the comic book pattern. Do you think that Zack Snyder's hedging his bets and hoping that he'll get a, a shot to make, the, you know, th- this next installment one day? I don't know. I think somebody, the, yes. vari- the mm. Variety uh, critic, uh, asked uh, Snidely, "Is it going to be a David Ayer's cut for Suicide Squad?" And they're like, they "No." They said, "No." They said, yeah, no. I saw that. Good call. But um, 
to be fair, it, it, I think it would similarly would be much better than the original, probably not to this level, but would similarly be much better than the Suicide Squad film we did get based on the sound of what they what changes were I, mandated. I, I did prefer Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey wasn't too I bad. still haven't seen it. Um, I've heard kind of mixed things about it. But um, in retrospect about this film and the meta narratives behind it, how strange is it that Warner Brothers panicked and uh, mangled this genuinely good film after allowing Snyder to make Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. I mean, what the hell? You know? <laughs> I mean, um, but that's the thing. I mean, especially if you look at it... Uh, they really don't know what they're doing the, the, the at ma- all. The no. majority of the film uh, in its original tone is still there. Like, it didn't need to be reshot with the quippiness that's infused yeah. into it because... They were worried that it wasn't light enough. I think they've responded to studio notes slash criticism of Batman versus Superman to try and make it less dour less speechifying, uh, let, less strained philosophy. But that's, that's part of this universe. I know, but I mean, here I think they found a nice happy medium, but for some reason that, that wasn't enough and it's been needed to be made quippier. But but that's the that's the problem I have with DC as well in general. When In that interview, in the same interview about the David Ice cut, they were talking about doing spin-offs much like TV shows and, and other mediums of bringing a multi-platform universe, <laughs> much like Marvel. So they're, they're still trying to play catch-up to Marvel rather than establish their own identity, which I feel is going to be a problem. And the Snyder universe, I think, was their best shot if they were going to do that. Now that they've abandoned that already, they may as well just continue the course they're doing with the new Batman movie or the new Joker movie. Yeah, just have individual films with their own separate tone, and that's going to be fine, I guess. Maybe, I don't know, not fine, but... But Everyone just wants that Marvel money with that big interconnected, you know, multimedia... But that's, that's the one thing that I don't understand. I mean, the Marvel money is fine, but it's also the the lack of actual critical engagement with Marvel movies where a lot of critics are happy to give Marvel movies a pass, mm. even though a lot of them are just kind of average fare. Less, yeah, less than average, average, I'd say. It's true. Um, I, I always hope that one day we'll reach the point where the, there's just the group think switch and everyone starts turning on these movies. Because, like, the, the thing is for uh, me... Like, is like, a lot of DC films are, are bad and they have flaws, but so do Marvel films. But the, some of the Marvel films... By comparison, uh, the critics go somewhat easy on, well, or they seem to be because they're lighter in tone. The, the Marvel films are getting better at the same time that they're getting worse. By which I mean that they're becoming such a well-oiled machine. Yeah, but the, 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 the template is yeah. is is much more well-oiled. But yeah, but the imagination is lacking. Yeah, but because we've seen the same thing over and over and over again, we're well past the point of diminishing returns. So it doesn't matter how how much you polish it, you still just feel that there's no substance there. Um, and speaking of those films, one last note on Zack Snyder's Justice League for me is how this film made you feel a sense of awe. The superheroes, you know. A sense of, I, I think it comes across in Don't feel that in Marvel direction just how much he genuinely loves these characters. But there's, it's tying us into a broader narrative, the historical narrative, which we saw earlier in the film, which takes place thousand years before our events, where which are very reflective of our own society in real ways, in a very archetypal way, it's enjoyable. And you have a sense of the traditional epic in this film. It's like Lord of the Rings. you don't get in the others. You have a sense of all these, and actually Lord of the Rings is a perfect example because thousands of years ago, Isidore's heir and a few others' descendants come together to reclaim the space and do this battle. And there's a sense of that here. I don't think it's carried off quite the same craft or interest or humor or world building but it's still entertaining yeah and that is Zack snyder's justice league it is out on binge now 
you can bench to film. I did. I watched. Four it in, hours. I, I watched it in basically a four hour sitting. It's the wow. way to do it. Wow. Oh. Yeah. It, 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 it is actually the way to do it. Uh, yeah. Background to this: we had to convince Glenn to to watch this <laughs> film quite hard. We had to. Uh, do our own lobbying to uh, hashtag make Glenn watch the Snyder Cut. Yeah, um, it's just, it's turned <laughs> I'm out glad, to be... I'm glad I did it. Yeah. It is an experience. It is, yeah. It's turned out to be the mo- the most interesting thing to talk about as far as new releases go in a while, so... Well, speaking of new releases, we'll be back next week once the embargo is lifted. The embargo will lift um, on Thursday morning of the morning of release, so we can't cover it this week, dear listener, but we'll cover next week... Godzilla. Godzilla versus Kong. It's exactly what it is. It says in the title. And otherwise, let us know okay. what you want us to fight about. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's it. That's that's all we have to say on Godzilla for now. We, 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 all we can say is that there is a film, that it exists, that Godzilla and Kong are both in it. Yep. And that there is action. Have a good night and enjoy movies. Bye. Goodbye.